All right, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 5. How are we doing this morning? Good. Luke chapter 5. When we come to Christianity together, when we look at the Bible, when we, we come to church together, there's often many different ideas of what it means to be a Christian. Depending on what kind of church you grew up in or what your theological context was, it may have been that, that if you walked the aisle and, and prayed a simple prayer and, and uh, were dunked in some water, then you were a Christian. Uh, for some, that's where the story ends. Some of you may, um, if you did certain things or if you paid your tithes and went to Sunday school and did all that job, then maybe then you would be a Christian. Or maybe if it was if you stopped drinking and cussing and and whatever else you were into before Christ, maybe if you would just stop doing those things, then God would like you enough to be a Christian. And I'm sure if we went around the room this morning, there would be so many different realities for some of what it meant to be a Christian or what you're supposed to be to be a Christian or what you were told even maybe you had to do to be a Christian. And this morning what I want to do, and and we could go into the Bible, into the the beautiful picture of God's word, and I could give you thing after thing after thing after thing that shows us what it is to be a Christian. And to be a Christian this morning, a Christian is little Christ's. So what we're called to be, Christ-like Christian. It means that we act and serve and think and live like Christ. And this morning, before we dive into the text and I unpack these four points that I have for you, I feel like the Lord pressed on my heart for our gathering. I want to pray and ask God to bless the reading of his word. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to read your word. God, that we live in a, a country, in a place, God, Lord, that, that the extent of our freedom, God, Lord, sometimes probably even hinders your word, or not your word, but hinders our worship, God, because we take you for granted too often. We take the access to Scripture for granted too often. We take our ability to pray openly and proudly to our God for granted far too often. But God, we do thank you that we live in a place where we can take advantage of those things, God. And I pray this morning that we would remember that you're the greatest of all time. That there's none like you, that there's never been any like you, and there will never be any like you. You're infinitely better than anything we could experience here on this planet. And I pray, God, this morning, as we collectively as a faith family come to the text, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our ears to hear, and you would open our hearts to receive all all that you have for us, God. Don't let us miss a thing today in the power of your spirit. We want to be Christian, and we don't want just the label. We don't want just the religion. We just don't, God, we don't want just the mode and the tradition. We want to be Christian. So help us this morning as we look at the text, see what it means to be Christian. And all of God's family said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to follow along by taking notes. Taking notes this morning, number one is this. A Christian is not perfect but is repentant. All right, I want you to hear that. If you're not taking notes this morning, I want you to, to sear that into your mind. They say, study shows that you have to hear something to seven to ten times, so I'm going to go over each point seven to ten. I'm joking. I'm not going to do that. But I want you to remember this morning, 
And to hold on to the reality that a Christian is not perfect. And I know some of you are saying, whoa, whoa, TJ. I thought that I had to clean myself up before I could be Christian. Like, I thought I had to do all the right things and say all the right things before I could be Christian. I thought I had to, like, not drink anymore and not curse anymore and not, you know, maybe dip or smoke cigarettes. TJ, aren't there, like, some qualifications to become a Christian? Don't I have to clean myself up? Well, the reality this morning is no. To become Christian, and I know this is shaky ground for some, because when we begin to talk about what grace really is and how God, in spite of us, loves us anyways, we get uncomfortable as church people. It's like, no, 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 we got to be clean, bro. <laughs> we got to, don't take my rules away from me, right? Like, I have all these boxes that I check, TJ. It makes me feel really good about who I am before God. Don't take my boxes away. Listen to me this morning. A Christian is not perfect, but is repentant. You say, TJ, are you sure about that? Luke chapter 5, 27 through 30. I want to show you three pieces of evidence from the scriptures that shows us that Jesus was about incorporating imperfect people into a perfect gospel. He was about allowing imperfect, broken, nasty people to join the most beautiful and clean story in all of history. Listen to Luke 5, 27 through 30. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Let me give you a little snippet about tax collectors in his day. They could, on a whim, at any moment, just raise your taxes. Say you were just kicking it in Jerusalem, you went to see Levi, and you're like, hey, Levi, here's, our, you know, here's my $50 in taxes. Here's my $100 in taxes. And Levi's like, oh, you didn't hear yesterday. We bumped it to 220 So you either pay me or you're going to jail. They had that power and that kind of authority. And, and, and so they were manipulators and thieves. They weren't looked too kindly on. It's not the kind of person that you're just like, let's hang out this week. Let's play some cards on Thursday night. And everybody's kind of like, hey, remember, don't invite Levi. He has all of our money anyways. Like he would have been excluded from the crowd. Not liked and not chosen. But Jesus sees a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth and this is what he says, follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I, I want you to see this in scripture this morning. Jesus' crew, like the people that Jesus ran with, the people that Jesus surrounded himself with, the people that Jesus longed to serve and reach and to love and to show the gospel to were not neat, clean, tidy, religious people. They were broken, dirty, nasty, tax collectors, sinners, drunkards, prostitutes. You say, well, TJ, pump the brakes. It's making me uncomfortable, but let's think about scripture. Jesus allowed a prostitute to cry on his feet, to wash his feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair. Jesus knew that we were imperfect. And I want you to hear this this morning because he didn't come to, to make good men and women better. He didn't come and say, man, I, I just want to kind of modify your behavior a little bit. And see, we, we don't get this gospel sometimes, especially in the South. Unfortunately, we don't get this gospel because for the last 50 years or so, it's been very convenient to preach behavior modification. 
It's been very, very, very convenient for the pastor to come into a church and, and man, if I could get a few people to stop throwing it back on Saturday night, if I can get a few people to stop dropping the F-bomb in public and I get a few people to stop dipping, then somebody's going to pat me on the back and say, Pastor, you're doing a great job. But that's not the gospel. See, good behavior doesn't get us into heaven. Our ability to check a box and be good and be religious or follow tradition or sing songs or preach good messages, none of these things get us into heaven or gain favor with God. It's only the gospel. And Jesus' crew was an example of that. His people, his posse, the people he ran with. What do you want to call it? In today's, listen, in today's, in today's terminology, everyone, almost everyone that Jesus hung out with on Friday, they would say, what are we doing today? Well, they wouldn't be handing out tracts. They would be in turn up, right? They would say that their parties were lit. Give you some verbiage, 2016 verbiage. Because he didn't surround himself with a neat and tidy and clean. He surrounded himself with broken, imperfect people. And you say, TJ, are you sure about that? Well, if you don't like that or aren't comfortable with that, just gaze at the scripture. You heard it. Luke 5, 27 through 30. Moving on. Another point. Evidence of our imperfection and the reality that Jesus wanted imperfect people around him is in Luke 5, 32 through 31. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. And this is Jesus' reply. This is Jesus', this is Jesus reply when they were like, Jesus, you're hanging out with a really, really rough crowd. You got some really messed up people around you. Jesus wasn't like, oh man, she's just having a rough week. That's why there's a margarita on the table. No. Jesus said, listen, I, that's who I came for. I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for the people who have it all together. I didn't come for the religious. I came for the sick. The healthy, they don't have need for a doctor. But the sick will welcome my sight. Those who are arrogant and think that they're found and they have it all together, they don't think anybody needs to fix them. They won't want to see me, but the broken, the dirty, the lonely, the hurting, the rejected, the abused, those will welcome my sight. That's who he came for. It's evidence that Jesus was not looking for perfect people. Jesus was not looking for perfect men and women. He was looking for men and women who were broken and undone so that he could add perfection to their lives, so that he could give them purpose in life. See, a Christian is not perfect, but is faithful to repent. Another evident piece of evidence that shows us that we, that we are imperfect is Jesus' sacrificial atonement. See, if you and I were perfect, or if you and I had the ability to be good enough to get to God on our own, then Christ, then God sending his one and only son to die on the cross and to receive the brutality of your punishment and my punishment was just cruel. See, if we could have reached some heightened level of intellect and morality to where we could decide what is sin and not sin completely and, and completely steer away from it and only give ourselves to that which is holy, if we could have done that on our own, then Christ Jesus coming and dying on the cross would have been the cru cruelest thing that God ever did. But God knew that you and I were absolutely 
imperfect, that you and I were unable on our own to get our stuff together and get to the cross. You say, teacher, are you sure? Well, look at scripture. You got the whole Old Testament of God giving people opportunities to get their stuff together and get it to the cross. And every time we find them, they're either wandering in a desert or running away from God. Chance after chance after chance, God opens the door for his people. And what does the people do? I think we'll just kick it in the wilderness for 40 years, God. We're good. Build some golden calves and hang out here. No, what? See, left to ourselves, we would never go to God on our own. That's why Jesus came. That's evidence of our imperfection, but also evidence of his incredible sacrificial atonement. 1 John 2.2. 2. 2-2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. See, Christ coming is evidence that we could have never come to him on our own. See, he came and lived a sinless life. I want you to hear me well this morning. Christ Jesus came and lived a absolutely sinless life. And when he went to the cross, he nailed all of your sin debt there. All of my sin debt was nailed to the cross. All of my imperfection was swallowed up in the perfection of Jesus. All of my rebellion against God, all of my running from God was swallowed up in that moment by the grace and mercy and compassion of God in Christ Jesus on the cross when he was nailed there. His substitution is, our, is evidence of our imperfection. So hear me when I say this today. Receive the substitution. Receive it. He loves you so, so, so much. So if a Christian's not perfect, what do they have to be? They have to be faithful to repent. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 through 19, when Jesus came off the mountain after having been tempted by Satan, this is what he said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what Jesus was saying? Repent's that fancy church word we always use. It just simply means Turn. Jesus was saying, hey, listen, turn from your sin. Turn from your imperfection and look at me. That's what he was saying. Jesus came to the world saying, hey, turn from those things that, that in the moment make you feel really, really, really good and, and that instant gratification. Turn from those things that leave you the next day either with a spiritual, emotional, or physical hangover. Why don't you turn from those things? Turn to me. That's what he was saying. I have life and vitality and hope and grace and peace and ability to cover all of your sin and shame. Turn to me. Repent. See, he knew that we were going to be imperfect, but he gave us the opportunity to be faithful to repent. A Christian is someone who is faithful to repent. They know that it's not about them and their ability to be good, but it's about God and his ability to be great in saving them. And they're faithful to repent. And they're faithful to rest in the sufficiency of Christ. Hear me today when I say this. A Christian rests in the sufficiency of Christ. 
And see, this is what we're prone to because we have been fed for much of our lives, many of us, behavior modification. Just be better and God will smile. Be better and God will like you. Don't drink, don't cuss, don't have sex before you're married and God will smile on you and and you won't be in any trouble and everything will be good and God will love you. And, and, And that's kind of our focus. So this is what we often do. Whenever we are convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and we realize that we want freedom that Christ offers, we look at the sin in our lives, don't we? Anybody else ever done that? We look at the sin and say, okay, if I can get rid of this, this, and this, then I'll be the Christian that I'm supposed to be. Anybody ever done that? I I even made a list one time. (laughs) I was like, all right, I got to stop saying that word. That's socially unacceptable. I can't say that. Like I did, I just went through this list of, okay, I I can't, all right, lust, materialism, idols. I just started naming all these things, listing all these things. My focus went to my sin. See, that's not the point of repentance, And that's not the point of resting in the sufficiency of Christ. Our gaze, our look does not need to go to our sin. We need to acknowledge our sin, repent of our sin, but set our eyes on the Savior. Rest in the sufficiency of Christ to be good on your behalf when you're absolutely horrible. So that when you repent, you can look back at his goodness and say, that's where I'm going, right? See, the enemy's crafty. With the best of intentions at times, you and I can take our eyes off the Savior, put it on our sin and our shortcomings, and, and find ourselves steeped in condemnation, never knowing freedom in Christ, because we're still trying to fix ourselves rather than focusing on the Savior, the only one who can fix us, the only one who can free us, the only one who can redeem us. A, a lot of times when you preach grace in this way, people say, well, whoa, whoa, TJ, if you start... If you start telling people not to look at their sin, but look at the Savior, won't people just go and kind of do whatever they want to do? Well, no. Because the way we combat hypocrisy and easy believism is to be faithfully committed to maturity. See, a Christian is not only faithful to repent, a Christian is not only faithful to rest in the sufficiency of Christ, but a Christian, someone who is Christ-like, remember that word means Christ-like, little Christ, they're committed to maturity. Even Luke, in the book of Luke, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with both God and men. When he's growing up, he grew in wisdom and stature with God and men. We want to be like Christ. We want to grow in our Christian faith. We want to grow in holiness but it can't be manufactured by ourselves. It has to be the gift and power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't run to sin, we run to Christ. We don't look and focus on our sin, we focus on Christ. We repent, we rest in his sufficiency, and we are committed to maturity. And sometimes my prayer, I'll just be honest, I want to be transparent with you this morning. There's all, probably issues in my heart, my life, that God is continually working out and revealing to me that I need to confess sin in my heart, that I, I have to confess. And oftentimes my prayer sounds something like this, God, would you do in my heart what I can't do for myself? I mean, that's been my prayer many times in my life. God, I want to be good. God, I don't want to get mad when people are slow in traffic. God, I don't want to do some of these things, but I still find myself waving a bird occasionally out the window or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying that actually happens. I'm just saying, Right? I want so bad the ability to be a good Christian, but there are elements in my life where I find roadblocks. Anybody else ever been there? Can we be real this morning together? You say, TJ, there there are these roadblocks, and listen, my encouragement to you is pray something like that. Find your own prayer, find your own voice. God, do in my heart what what I can't do for myself. God, I don't want to be angry, but I feel like I just keep running into the enemy of anger and just giving in. God, I I don't want to drink. 
I don't want to give into that peer pressure, God. I don't want to lose myself. And I know when I, God, I know when I get in, I know some people, you know, maybe they can have a social drink, but God, I know it's a problem for me and I, I can't, God. I, I want to run from it, but I'm just not strong enough. God, would you do in my heart what I can't do for myself? God, I don't want to gossip. But every time I get around these certain people, God, rather than standing up for you, Jesus, rather than encouraging and, and kind of showing some good light on him or her, God, I always find myself throwing them under the bus too and engaging in, in destructive gossip. God, would you do in my heart what I can't do for myself? A Christian is faithful to repent, but they acknowledge that they're imperfect. A Christian also, point number two, if you're taking notes, follows the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom. We follow the Spirit of God as Christians. We don't follow our own opinion, our own preferences, our own wants, our own desires, our own needs even at times. We surrender to the headship of Christ. And listen, we live in a generation that absolutely does not like authority and absolutely does not like the idea of the word submission. But a Christian knows that real life, real vitality, real hope comes in this. Taking the reins of our lives and saying, here Jesus, you take the lead. C.S. Lewis said it like this, probably my favorite way of of ever hearing it put. C.S. Lewis said one time, he said, when it comes to headship, when it comes to submitting to Christ, he said, many of us are, will be, it'll be sufficient enough to say that, that Jesus, would you, would you be my co-pilot? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Jesus, would you, would you just take the wheel and I'll sit over here? Or, or God, you, you, you need to take the wheel of my life. You take that headship and I'll just sit over here in the passenger seat. C.S. Lewis said this, I know myself. So this is what I would have to do. I would have to get out of the car, come around to the driver's side and open the door and say, Jesus, here's my keys. He said, then I'd ask Jesus to follow me to the trunk and I'd pop the trunk and I'd say, hey, Jesus, I'm gonna climb in. And when I get in, Jesus, I want you to shut the lid and Jesus, you get in the driver's seat and you go wherever we wanna go. Just let me out when we get there. He said he knew who he was. He said, if I was in the passenger seat, I'd be reaching over for the steering wheel. If I was in the back, I would be reaching around Jesus trying to grab the wheel. He said, real headship, real submission to Christ, real following the Spirit is taking our hands totally off the wheel and saying, Jesus, you take the lead and do whatever you want to do. Colossians 1.18 says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have preeminence. So Christian is not perfect, but they are faithful to repent and they follow the spirit of God. They walk by faith. Hebrews 11:6 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. That without faith, I'm sorry, without faith it is impossible to please God. That's what it says. Without faith it's impossible to please God. So Christian knows they're imperfect, but they're faithful to repent and they aim to walk after the spirit of God. God, you do in my life. You take the lead, take the reins, go wherever you want to go. Point number 3, quickly. A Christian is not an arrogant know-it-all, but is a faithful disciple. I wanted Definitely wanted to focus in on this point for just a minute. I remember when I was 12 or 13 years old, I was considering Christianity. My grandfather was a pastor. I saw a bunch of church drama and really didn't want to have anything to do with it, to be honest with you. I just didn't. I was 12 or 13 years old. I remember I went to a youth camp in Florida, came back home. I was really, really, really excited about the idea of Jesus. I hadn't surrendered my life to him. But I remember I was standing in worship on a Sunday morning, and they were singing a song in my grandfather's church. They would, I mean, if it wasn't now the Redback Hymnal, it just wasn't Christian music. So that's all they sang. And I remember even in that, and this is probably how I was able to get over my preferences, um, even in that, I remember God stirring my heart to worship. 
And I just lifted my hands. I was 12 or 13 years old. I was on the third row back on the right side. I'll never forget. I lift my hands, and I'm just singing, I'll fly away. Or so I can't remember what it was. Some, something out of the red back hymnal, man. I was just singing. And as soon as worship was over, this older man came up to me. He said, hey, TJ, listen, I know you're excited about Jesus, but, but this church isn't really ready for that kind of thing. And we don't really, I, I think you're a little too excited. And, you know, man, you know, maybe one day this church will be there and you can raise your hands at some point. But right now, I think it's just a little too early. And I remember at 12 or 13 years old, I just said deuces. I would go to my grandfather's church and I knew the verses and I could play the part and I could look Christian and sound Christian. But the reality was that an arrogant know-it-all in the church that claimed the role of Christian discouraged me in my faith. And I thought, man, I never want to be, and I'm sure I've done that. I'm sure I've fallen in that same sin at times, been that arrogant know-it-all that has, I know theology, I know doctrine, I know scripture. Man, come on, that's not what a Christian is. A, a Christian is a faithful disciple, someone who's humble and willing to learn. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is what I love, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A Christian is not an arrogant know-it-all, ready to spout their belief and opinion on anyone and everyone around them. I can't remember the last, one I, the last time I led someone to Christ or was able to be a part of seeing when someone's soul saved by making someone feel dumb in an argument. That's never worked for me. It's never happened. Take my yoke upon you. Be willing to learn from Jesus. Be willing to listen to Jesus. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. John 10, 27. Be willing to learn and willing to listen. A Christian is someone who is willing to say, I don't have all the answers, but I look to the answer. I don't have it all together, but I look to the one who holds it all together. A Christian is someone who's willing to go all in. I want to tell you this little story. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, believe it or not, I was, I was third in my class. I was third in my class in my high school from the bottom. All right? All right? You can laugh, but all right. No, seriously. And um, so I was, just, I was terrible in school. I was not very good in school, kind of rebellious. And, but I had this teacher. His name was Dr. Rayfield. And as a sophomore in high school, he... He, he kind of took me to the side and said, hey, TJ, I want you to, uh, he, he just showed an interest in my life. He said, he said, you know, tell me about yourself and yada, yada. And, and um, he, he said, man, I would love for you to help me in the greenhouse some. And, and, uh, and, and I would love for you to be a part of FFA. And I was like, what is FFA? Yeah, he was like, well, I know that you, it was just after I come to know Christ, he was like, we need a chaplain in FFA. And like, you, you know some Bible verses, so this will work. I was like, sweet. And, and, and I want you to track with the story really close because over the next few years of my high school career, I, man, I bought some Georgia boots, I wore some Wranglers at times, and I wore a purple corduroy jacket, and I was like full-on FFA, 100% full-blown redneck, just gave myself to it. And this guy was into like uh, cattle judging. I showed a pig. I mean, like you show a pig in South Georgia. We do that kind of stuff, right? And so like I learned muscle confirmation on cows and how to grade animals and all this stuff. And I can still tell you, we can walk through the woods and I can look at trees and say, that's a Liriodendron tulipifera, which is the scientific name for a yellow poplar. But at the same time that I sat under all of his teaching, and I learned all those things and went all in. I had another teacher, and her name was Dr. Smith, and she taught math. 
If you were to ask me today to look at a math problem and solve it for you or work out a formula, we would both be in trouble. Why? Why? Because I was his disciple. I committed to learn from him. I went all in. I, man, I bought the boots, bought the jeans. I went all in. I wore the corduroy jacket with pride. But aren't we guilty of that sometimes with Jesus? We sit in the room with him. We listen to him teach. But we refuse for whatever reason to be his disciple. We refuse to buy the boots and the silly jacket and the jeans and go all in, don't we, with Christ? And see, he's not looking for fans. He's not looking for people who pat him on the back and say, Jesus, you, you, you sure did some great miracles. He's looking for someone to say, Jesus, I will follow you. I'll be your disciple. I want to say this and then we'll wrap up. That, that one person in my high school, his ability um, to invest in my life shaped the next several years of my life. The, the last two years of my high school and two or three years after that, it shaped it. And I want to tell this to you, those of you who sit in the room this morning, you have the ability to disciple you have the ability right where you are in your job, in your workplace, in your family, as a mom or a dad or a friend or a cousin, as a brother or a sister, you have the ability to disciple. You have the ability to pour in knowledge and wisdom and grace to somebody else. You can be disciplers. Christians aren't arrogant know-it-alls, but they are faithful disciples. And disciples disciple. Disciples multiply. Disciples go and try to tell the world, or at least their friend and their community, their circle around them, how good of a Savior they found. The last point, and we're wrapping up. A Savior, a Christian, is eternally confident that God keeps his promises. Listen to these three simple things. God, start, God finishes what he starts. God never fails. And his gospel has always been and will always be about his glory and our good. Hear that this morning. A Christian is confident. A Christian is confident that God keeps his promises. The things that God has started in your life, he will complete. Philippians 1 tells us that, that he who started a good thing will bring it through to completion. God will finish what he starts. And hear me, looking close this morning, he will not leave you. In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your sin, no matter what you're walking through today, he will never, ever leave you. Scripture says that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Don't forget today that all of this, all the goodness that we talk about is for the glory of God and for our good. He incorporated imperfect people into his story. He wasn't looking for the perfect he was looking for men and women that he could add value and life to. We get to be the beneficiaries of his grace this morning. Let's respond together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. God, we could just really say that over and over. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your goodness. God, you did not require us to be perfect. You Ask us to repent. 
So teach us this morning, God, to repent. Help us this morning, God, to, to utter the prayer, do in our hearts what we can't do for ourselves. God, help us to surrender the lead of our lives to you, God. Help us to surrender that headship and to spiritually follow you. And God, beyond that, help us to not be know-it-alls, God, but to be faithful disciples, men and women who want to learn from you, want to listen to you, God. And lastly, God, help us to be extremely confident that you will finish what you've started. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus and his sacrificial death, his substitutionary atonement. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.